I'm John DiLiberto, and you're hearing the Echoes podcast from PRX. Today, I've got the second of our two-part interview with legendary synthesizer-composer Klaus Schulze. He left the planet last year on April 26. This interview took place, though, in 1982 at Klaus's studio at the time in West Germany. Klaus Schulze was a post-war baby, born on August 4, 1947. He studied classical guitar in his youth, but rock and psychedelic music soon drew him in. He first began playing drums, recording freeform music with Cy-Free, then teamed up with Edgar Frosa and Tangerine Dream and played on their debut album, Electronic Meditations. Then he jumped to Manuel Goetsching's Ashra Temple, another group creating in the psychedelic vein with long, freeform improvisations. Along with Tangerine Dream's Sight, released the same month in 1972, Klaus essentially created modern drone zone and ambient music with his debut album, Ehrlicht, or Will o' the Wisp. He played a modified and totally distorted electric organ over an orchestral rehearsal that he had recorded. It was subtitled Kraudophonische Symphonie für Orchestra und E-Maschinen, or Kraudophonic Symphony for Orchestra and Electronic Machine. His second album was a double LP, Cyborg, released in 1973. Equally floating, Klaus added a VCS3 synthesizer to his sound. But it's a trio of mid-70s recordings that really flipped the switch for Klaus's career as well as electronic music in general. Picture music, Time Wind, and Moon Dawn. These albums introduced the particular sequencer style that became known as the Berlin School. It was marked by a driving rhythmic sound like giant rubber bands twanged in space. Over these, Klaus would lay in synthesizer pads, free-form Moog solos, and swishing sound effects. The music on all these recordings took up an entire side, a mode that Klaus would work in for most of his career. This Berlin school would have profound influences shaping pop music like Donna Summer's I Feel Love and then, in the 1990s, the emergence of techno. Klaus went on to release hundreds of recordings. His last one was Deus Arrakis, an album inspired by Frank Herbert's Dune. That's a novel he'd previously referenced in 1978 in the track Frank Herbert, and again in 1979 with the album Dune. That last one had Arthur Brown on vocals as well as Wolfgang Tipold on cello. Klaus had recorded 16 albums at the time of this interview, and his latest one was Transfer. Here is the second part of my 1982 interview with Klaus Schulze. When the synthesizer first came out, actually just a little bit after it, a lot of people thought it was going to uh, replace other instruments because they thought it would have the ability to perfectly imitate these other, which it couldn't at that time. Mm -hmm. and, and it can a bit more now. Yeah, it can do a lot of it but sometimes. You, you don't really use it much in that way. Yes, because I think that the instrument, every instrument has a certain uh, purpose, you know. And uh, I think the synthesizer was not made to replace an orchestra or... Because he would never try to copy with a violin, a guitar, you know, or a, or a flute or whatever. And from my point of view, a synthesizer is an absolutely independent instrument, which uh, should be also used and... Uh, Played like an uh, like an independent instrument, like a synthesizer, which works with 
uh, electromagnetic waves or whatever it is, like uh, with energy, you know. And uh, so that the thing is, you know, of course, I sometimes I copied strings and things like that, which is just because uh, you can't ever have a con uh, an orchestra here in a room or for certain things you even can't write it really, you know, because it's so different textures which you have to play, which is for an orchestra very hard to do. But it was all, always kind of a, just to give the idea, there could be an orchestra, but it, I never tried really to replace an orchestra or something because the, the instrument in itself, you know, is for my point of view just demanding that you use it like it was made for, you know, and uh, it was, I mean, a lot of people still use the prophet like an organ, or they play it even like an organ also, you know, and also what I always hate was that when the people just, with a minimal play this, you know, this, uh, this yowling, you know, <laughs> I don't know the English word for it, you know, as like, like a dog if you, uh, if you, hit his tail or whatever, you know, just, you know, like this, and all about the English people, like Wakeman or something like that, you know. But uh, there's certain things, you know, that you can't do with any other instrument, you know, and I think if you want to have a perfect violin, why don't you use one? Okay, it's always, let's say, it's not a question of money in a moment, you know, of course. For a lot of people who just want to have a nice string background and can't afford an orchestra, Okay, it's, uh, I can say, okay, it's reasonable if they try to copy that, you know. But uh, we're just talking about the instrument in itself, you know. And uh, at this point of view, I think that should do its own sound textures, you know, because it's also made kind of through the filtering and also through the sequences stuff is in, and also that you can change the chromatic or scale of the keyboard, you know, which you can't do with the piano uh, unless you just <laughs> go with a screwdriver and just put everything out of order, you know. And uh, what they did, a lot of people did that, you know, they played the piano, they opened the, the, the top, you know, and played with a hammer on it and things like that, which was also kind of using it different like that, but it still it, it rem uh, it reminds a uh, kind of a piano sound, you know, because the strings were different played, but uh, but synthesizing, you know, never... I mean, the industry probably wanted to that, to replace an orchestra that everybody who wants to have a string thing, play the strings at home, you know. It's probably still their aim, what they do, you know. They, they go so near already to it, you know, to get voices out of it or to get flutes, which is quite easy, in fact, with a quite straight pulse waves and the overtones are not so complicated, like on strings, it was wooden stuff, you know. But... Uh, I mean, the general aim of the instrument itself, apart from what the industry wants or what selling points or what money is, is that it's kind of like a violin, instrument for me like a violin, you know. And the same what the people say, you know, said, ah, oh, it's a synthesizer, no, it's no instrument because it uh, has knobs and all that things, you know, and cables all around, you know. And I said, I mean, I never saw a violin growing on a tree, you know. I mean, imagine what the people just spend time to create a violin, you know, or even what it means to build a normal acoustic uh, grand piano or upright piano, whatever it is, you know. It's all technique. I mean, the synthesizer is exactly the same, but it d just doesn't look so familiar yet. 
You know, I mean, in 50 years, nobody will say a synthesizer is no music instrument, you know, because, I mean, you know that yourself, you know, even the musicians said, you know, said, oh, synthesizer, it's technique, you know, it's no, it's no musical instrument, there's no I I expression in it. Of course, there's no expression like a guitar in it or no expression like a piano in it, but there's another impression, expression in it, like, for example, to control uh, with a pedal, suddenly the filtering, which means the tone color, you change the, which is an expression which you can't do with a piano, it's always the same sound. And now, okay, they have the keyboard velocity now, but it's totally different still from a normal piano. But uh, it has not to be on the synthesizer. It has different expressions. You cannot change uh, the tone of a vi of a violin to I mean to a flute, for example. But you have different. Then you can but you can bend the uh, strings. You have no not this kind of what do you call this or like on a guitar these things frets there yeah? because you can go like this, you know, and uh, it's totally different expression. Every instrument has some, you know. And so the, all, if the people say the synthesizer sounds cold or they don't have a human expression, uh, I mean, if you think that uh, 2,000 or maybe 5,000 years of German, uh, or who was the first one? It was, I think it was German, Troutwein did the first Troutonium. one. Troutonium. Troutonium, that was wine, yeah. He did the first one. Uh, or in general, let's not uh, talk about only uh, the synthesizers. Just think about that 5,000 years ago, all the human uh, mankind just developing techniques. It's all in that instrument, and so it must be human. I mean, it was no uh, gun from outer space and just, uh, put a synthesizer on the table and said, OK, here it is. I mean, it's the same thing like a car, which is human or whatever it is, you know. But you compared, I mean, to a, a wagon with a horse in front, it's also not human, you know, but it, uh, still it's made by humans, created by humans, and it has all the human facilities in it, what we need to drive it. And it's the same with the synthesizers. We have the keyboard still because we have hands. And, uh, but that's the thing, it's already changed now, but in the beginning they thought, oh no, it's not like that, you know. And it's a thing that it's, it should have its own purpose, you know, and that's the reason why I not really try to copy all that, you know, which is much more, maybe if we have time that I play you some of the new stuff which I do, I only have on cassette, you know, it's, it's totally different from that, you know. Of course, there's, there's still a sequence of works on, but there's a bit different, like I did normally before, uh, but all of what's on top is very different, you know. And uh, but this goes more towards that, what you're thinking, it's really absolute and own instrument now, you know. And uh, that's probably the reason why I don't try to copy this other instrument, you know. You can turn around now, we can say, okay, on X you have the money to, to, uh, to rent an orchestra, you know. But could we also write somehow? But, <laughs> but in certain regards, in, in a non-imitative sense, don't you think the, the synthesis, the synthesizers kind of free the composer from the orchestra in certain regards? I mean... Yes, that's, uh, that's the thing, you know, which is... Uh, also, the other thing, which is uh, not only because suddenly a keyboard player can play a guitar, which he can't uh, play, uh, explain to a guitar player. You know, because there are a lot of things. Okay, you can write, the, uh, write down actually the notes, but you can't write down yeah, how it, I mean, you know, the, the, the thing is, which is a route which makes it so personal or so individual that it's, for example, like if you, I can't even play on a piano and you will hear immediately 
that, uh, for example, Klaus Schulz is playing the piano because they play always somehow the same harmonies or the same way of uh, melodies or whatever. There's something certain in which I always do whatever instrument I play, you know? But uh, it's, it's, it's the same melody you can give uh, to somebody else and he plays and they suddenly say, that no, that's not, you know? Even the melody is the same instrument. And uh, that's a big advantage of synthesizers. Suddenly you can arrange your strings in the thing which you could not even write down to an orchestra. Or the same thing you can suddenly play a flute, you know, which you couldn't explain to the flute player, I think that. And which is nice also, that's probably also the thing which is with a drum computer suddenly, uh, which, is a, but which is in fact a bit bad on that because, uh, I mean, the whole world is going to more or less that everybody is isolating himself. I mean, it's like the video stuff, everything suddenly doesn't happen in cinemas or in huge concert halls. Everything goes back to small rooms because, I mean, they can sell more, though, so that the industry. And suddenly they bring out the rhythm computers. So suddenly, even it starts at the band, suddenly there's not even a reason to exist because suddenly you can do everything alone. You have your drum computer, you have your strings, you have your flute, you have your guitar, you have everything you have at home, you know, which is also very dangerous. But uh, on the other hand, like everything, it has two sides, you know. It's very nice because you get suddenly what you said before, which is very important. Suddenly you can play the strings, even if you uh, never know what a violin is or how you to, uh, to play that with a bow, that a good tone comes out of it. It's already very hard, you know. And, uh, but that's very important, especially for a lot of people who uh, use uh, their instruments, not for commercial reasons, who play at home, you know. They're just sitting there after work and just to relax. They switch on the rhythm computer and then they have this kind of arpeggios up going up and down, which is very easy, you know. And then they have, uh, for the left hand, they have one key, which plays already the harmony. You know, and the others, they just play a bit around, you know, which is entertaining, which is very helpful, which is very important also for people. But the dangerous side is the isolation which you get to it, you know, because you don't go out anymore. I think somehow it's like, which was very terrible for me when I was in America, you know, that you suddenly, you sit and watch TV, you see beautiful dinners and underneath was a telephone number. So it means normally you are not even, you have not even to go out in the shop and to buy it where you have to actually to meet people and probably it could happen that you talk to somebody, you know. Uh, suddenly just call it and a guy comes up, you pay the money and you have the food, you know, or whatever it is, the suite or whatever, the, what they just uh, promoted there, you know. And that's a very uh, thing which goes very heavily into isolation, you know, which, uh, which is somewhere probably not so good, but... The other side would turn around when the people just feel so isolated, they would just throw them all out of the window and start from the beginning again, you know. You're one of the few musicians, especially from the ones who started out with you, who still performs live. And I'd like to talk about that a little bit. First of all, um, when you were performing, say, in your middle period around Moon Time Wind, Moon Dawn, <laughs> were you controlling all the parameters of your sound in real time at that point? Yeah. That was... Uh, the only thing what I used there, which I still use sometimes now, is drum tapes. Because uh, that's the reason why I told you before, you know. I mean, I have sometimes I have really a drum computer and uh, 
then there's some kind of additions by Mike, you know, because that's a, only the reason is one is the technical problems which you have with a drum kit on stage. And the other hand is that, uh, so that I work with, uh, with Mike so much, you know, I just can't stand on other drummers anymore. You <laughs> know, it's really like that, you know, it might be arrogant or whatever it is, but if it just, when, when I see a drummer, you know, I think, oh, how would Mike do that, you know? And but he has his own band in America, this kind of novel combo, and uh, he has not so much time, you know. I mean, he comes over every year for a month and plays three records, you know, and said, so "Take what you like." But I, I, and I have to promise him anyway. I had to promise him never to use anybody else except him, because he heard the Linda Steel Symphony, where I used another drummer. He said, "Oh, Klaus, he kills it. He he was sitting here nearly crying. He said, how could you? Didn't you hear that?" I said, well, should I tell him it was a live concert? I can't just stop him. He said, yeah, but, I mean, did you, didn't you rehearse? I said, yes, I did. It's not so bad. I mean, it's terrible, he said. I mean, it's totally on the wrong point where he's drumming and all that. You know? I said, I don't feel it like that. But, oh, it hurts me. It kills me. Stop it, please. You know? All that stuff like that. You know? And uh, that's the only thing that, where I use the tapes. You know? But uh, in general, you know, I, and because that's the reason why I play live, because it's, for me, it's a kind of a thrilling or excitement, you know, just to work without, let's uh, uh, say we say, with a double net, you know, so that you you make it or you don't make it. There's no way out, you know. It's not like a studio that you say, okay, do another mix or that, like that, you know, just you have to face it live, you know. And which is also very, very educating yourself because it's kind of a discipline which you have to have. And the other thing is that you have to to deal with people, you know? It's not like here, you know? I mean, you you finish an album and say, it's fantastic, you know? And you bring it out, you know, and okay, that's it. But there, you know, you play and suddenly you feel that the people doesn't suddenly you're just looking around or it gets noisy in your audience, that means you just pass them, you know? And uh, so you said, okay, why, why, why did I do it? You know, I, I, I play the music for them. And uh, so I have to try to get them, you know, to to get them all the time, you know, because as I think, as far as I'm doing a live concert, uh, it's not like a record for, uh, because the record, in in fact, I do for myself to fulfill my own demands, you know. I say, okay, I want to do this, and I finish it. I don't thinking of anything. You know, if people will like it or if the trend is like that, I don't care about that when I do a record. But I think as far as I'm doing a live concert, I'm doing a live concert because I want to play for the people. And the people just paid money and they walked. I mean, they spent time to come to the place and were standing outside and all that, you know, now sitting here and so. I think that's a place where I only play for the people and not for myself anymore. Because when I play for myself, I can play in the studio, you know. And uh, so that gives me also control how far or how near I'm still with my music to my audience, you know, and that's that's the point, you know, why I really play as less as possible with pre-recorded things or with pre-programmed things, you know, because then you're totally limited. Because I mean, if the drum track is going, you know, sometimes really in the, during the concert, I just stopped the tape, you know, I made the huge sound and just stopped it, and I said, no, forget it. Today it's really not working, you know, because it's just just not happening, you know. But uh, with, for example, if you now have a, a record tape with harmonies and sounds and everything on it, I mean, you can't, you can't stop the tape because then there's nothing suddenly, you know. 
So uh, the only thing that I took on was the rhythm, which I could fade in and fade out whenever I liked it. Still, I didn't like it so much because sometimes I would have the rhythm a bit quicker. It didn't go because the tape has no, or the bass drum sounds like a, 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 a tom or whatever. You know? But uh, I used it sometimes just to make the rhythm more alive, you know. So I used these tapes for rhythm, but the rest was all more or less uh, done live, you know. Now, the videotape that we saw of you and Manuel, it seemed, seemed to me like the only thing that you were doing live was the solo line on top. It seemed, it seemed like everything else was pretty much just kicked in. No, there was, uh, there was one thing is that sometimes the EMS was doing the sounds randomly. Mm -hmm. And uh, what you didn't see probably is that he played the synthesizer guitar manual. So he had uh, the first, the, the highest three strings were real guitar. And the deep strings was running about the uh, Roland, was a Roland synthesizer and a mini Moog. And he made can, sometimes he made the sustained sounds, and uh, I did then I think the whole sequence of stuff and all that stuff comes. I mean, it comes from a sequence. Okay, when you, if you call that, it's also recorded. I mean, the sequence is like a tape, in fact. But uh, what was actually on the tape is that is, is the drums, and. Uh, the other thing which you didn't see also on the video, I think on the maybe on the first part, I will play you that uh, after that, is that you saw that, maybe you saw it as Mando's place, a rhythm computer with the yellow lamps which are going around there. It's a case like that, you know, has a lot of, uh, it's, 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 well, I think six rows and 18 positions. Uh -huh. Didn't you see I that? You haven't been in his that. flat? Yeah, we were. In his studio? Should be there because he's using it all the time. Prophet Chan and Apple computer. Yeah, that was all. The yeah. Apple, that's my that's one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he does not have the case that with that yellow lights on that, like that big. He should have because he used it also on his new tape. And it was a drum thing which was connected to his. And he also the arp, He has a small arp sequencer, mm -hmm. and sometimes he play, he triggered it with a guitar. He did a lot, a lot of work. A lot of people thought, you know, he was not doing, he was doing anything, you know. I said, man, he did a, sometimes he did the most of the whole concert, you know. But because he was just listening to the guitar tones and the rest, he thought it comes from me, you know. When I was playing all the CS80 or the mini MOOCs, you know. Does the the computer technology lock you into certain things in a live performance? No, that's, that's, that's oh, that's that's the other thing. Uh, on certain things, I forgot that uh, certain things came out of the GDS from a floppy disk. This kind of this kind of the this kind of breaks in mm -hmm. there, you know. That came out from that uh, kind of okay. That if you call it tape, yeah, okay. Uh, for me, it's not a tape like you know. But then then you, I call the sequence a tape. I call everything a tape, which is just playing without that you do anything to it, you know. But uh, no, in fact, it, computer things gave me a lot of freedom because. You can program a lot of different uh, background stuff, and you see that on the keyboard that has 32 faders, and you can mix it in. And uh, so that means you have kind of a background which you can change every time to the situation you like. It's not like a tape that you have on two tracks, everything or nothing. You know, for example, like a total playback where you just play a solo or like a vocal that just sings on it. You can't go away from a song unless you stop the tape and say, uh, thank you, I'll try the next one. Uh, with that, you know, it gave you the total freedom to change every evening to a certain situation. 
the whole complete music style, you know, which is for me a, a very big freedom. It's not at all a limitation or whatever, you know. The only thing is, for example, that you can do on a minimook or an analog system, that you can change quicker the tones. Here, if you want to change, for example, on a GDS a violin tone, you have to program it different. That means, in fact, you have to stop the recent program, the running program, to, to in fact, you can't do that. On the, with the GDS, for example, with a, we have this floppy disk drive in there, and uh, it's during during a, uh, a uh, say a playing, it's not possible to change that. You know, that's a limitation. But that's only the tone which you can't change. But that's the reason why I've only have always the two mini MOOCs and uh, the CS80 with me on stage because on that I can change very quickly the tones, you know. But that's, that's on computers it's quite hard, yes, because that you have to really give a note, absolutely new parameters and everything, you know. Especially if you're alone, you know, like in Tangent Dream it's good, you know, two guys are playing and the third one is just uh, programming a different thing and then they stop and he takes over that and he's programming, you know. But as far as I saw them, I have the concert there, they don't, they don't do anything on that stage in the moment. They just, everything is programmed. I have to, I can give you the, I know you can't see that in America. They did a, a ni very nice concert with an orchestra together here in, in Munich uh, on that, uh, not rock pop, it was Classic Night with Eberhard Schöner, which you know, he's doing also mm -hmm. synthesizer work. And, um, very good, but everything comes from tape or from computers, you know, because you saw that on the hands, you know, they put the cameras on the hands and play totally different things, you know, what it was you could hear to it. You know, the only thing which was live was the orchestra, which is probably the only way uh, to, do, to work with an orchestra because an orchestra needs 100% precision. Otherwise, if you get a bit out of the beat, you know, the orchestra, I mean, 40 guys, you know, trying to run uh, behind the one, you know, it means really, it's a really, it's avant-garde then, you know. <laughs> also what they call avant-garde. I was wondering if you could discuss a little the, the feedback loop between how the technology has, in certain regards, shaped your music Feedback loop. Oh, that's a good title for a song. <laughs> Feedback loop. I'll write it huh? down for you. <laughs> no. I think someone's used it already, though. And how, okay, how the technology has shaped your music on the one hand, and how on the other hand, your demands have shaped the te technology. Mm -hmm. okay. I don't know what I really translated hundred percent like he said that. It seems uh, to me that it's self-understanding that the music. Uh, takes as the results of modern technique, including the automatization, autom automation. automation, as well as using all the other peripheric stuff, uh, that the music uh, changes through uh, the, the medias or the methods which uh, you use for it is also is very natural. I don't know whether it, I mean it's exactly what you, uh, the answer of that, but I don't think that I probably. Well, why don't you? Could you read the German? Yeah, of course. Uh, es scheint mir eine Selbstverständlichkeit zu sein, dass die Musik sich der Ergebnisse moderner Technik, einschließlich der Automatisierung, ebenso bedient wie alle anderen Bereiche. 
Dass sie sich dabei den angewandten Mitteln und Methoden entsprechend verändert, ist auch natürlich. <lacht> now he looks very nice. Ah. All right, now. Relate. Maybe you can translate that by. Uh, that otherwise, it's a book of that. This thing was done. Yeah, no, uh, 63 is that. Or relate that to you in a specific It's exactly, way. it's 100% the same. Because uh, if you start uh, to use technique, you can do with a sequence, suddenly you can do other things. Because you have a beat behind you and you can even uh, change it into your harmonies. But on the other hand, which, uh, it's very normal suddenly that as far as you have this possibility, that your demandings to yourself is changing because suddenly, because you know, oh, I can do this, or then I could do this. But suddenly you find out that the technique can't do it, so you ask somebody, can you make me a technique which can do this? And he built something which uh, can do that, but also something different. So if they can do this, oh, then I could do this. It's like, you know, like a stair, which goes up like that, you know, which goes, in fact, to the really heavy computer technique today, that suddenly your ideas get more also affected by the technique because you say, oh, I didn't know that I can do that with it. Oh, that's great, you know, because there are certain things in which you can't play. But as far as you can give it in very slow things into the computer and then give a very quick, like you speed up the clock, how it comes out again, suddenly you play Chopin like nothing. And uh, today there are only a few people who can play Chopin original uh, tempo, which he still was a quick and a great piano player. You know? And um, so suddenly they can do it, you know. As a computer you can do that even without knowing uh, uh, what a piano is, you know. So that suddenly brings you in a situation that you can say, oh, I write a song for piano in a, a 32-beat. Uh, Nobody can play that, or a 64-beat, but you can write suddenly one, because uh, the computer makes it possible, the technique makes it co uh, possible. And that means suddenly you can think with your ideas to, uh, to technique uh, that you say, okay, it doesn't matter the speed, you know, if I want to have it that quick, you know, just make a short break from the computer and then you, just, so you play that and then you start playing something else, you know. And, uh, and the other thing is what's really true is that also the technique as far as it opens you so much possibilities, creates also ideas in your mind. You know, because when you suddenly hear that there are sounds there which you never heard before, you say, oh, look, if I, now there are, for example, there are harmonizers and vocoders Suddenly, now you can make a so-called atonal sound, which has nothing to do with the harmony. You can put it into a harmony to your song. And suddenly you make a, for example, like the emulator, which is a perfect example. You record a car outside and you play it suddenly in F minor, you know? So suddenly you think of a car noise, which was before just an effect or a cheap thing. So you say, oh, man, I could write a symphony for car wheels for example, or for, I mean, for closing doors, you know, they'll just clack, clack, suddenly they, they close an F, you know, and um, then you change from F to C, you know, and they close a bit deeper, you know. And so that means the technique creates also ideas, what you can work on. But as far as suddenly you know that, oh, if this can do that, and my idea has this, suddenly the emulator won't do it anymore because suddenly it's only two seconds of memory. 
She said, oh, I need something because I want to have a train which goes five seconds for long sustained sounds and have not a loop like that, you know, that you, like this, if you put down at five seconds, it repeats it, you know, but you won't have a minute. So you ask somebody, can you do me the same thing like that, but I need five seconds. And suddenly you find out that you can have on every key, you can store a sentence with words. Because that's the idea what I have in a moment, because that is, and then you have on every key, you have a different sentence and you play an opera. You have on the first, uh, the first two octaves, it's a, it's a woman, it's a, the lower one is a man, and then have different sense, and then you talk, so F means, how are you doing? And B, on the girl said, fine. And so you send you compose words and lyrics on the keyboard, you know, and you understand that, you know. And suddenly you, you, you can go on stage and create real, a totally new thing. You can play Beckett or, or, or Bukowski, whatever you take that, you know. And uh, it's possible, uh, it's possible suddenly, you know. And then you make an operetta or opera on stage without anybody's on there. And you have no tapes, you just can always mix the answers, you know. You said on one tape, is, on one key is written, uh, let's say, I said, oh, I feel very nice. And the other said, I feel very nice. And so you just this evening you say, okay, I take this and this, you know. So you change even the sense of that. So you're still free on lyrics suddenly, you know. So that's, of course, it affects a lot. The ideas in there. Speaking of uh, lyrics, you started using them uh, kind of late, but but you started in, using them. On June, you mean it? Shadows of Ignorance, yeah. And, and that was the thing, in fact, because it was a thing which, uh, because the novel of June, you know, that impressed me very much, you know. And uh, in fact, I want to use the originals, but then. Uh, the management and uh, the publishers of Frank Herbert said, no, no way, you, know. you can't use it on the record, you know, because we have the publishing rights exclusively and all that, you know, with the lawyers and say, okay, forget it. So, uh, in fact, Asa and me, we just uh, wrote together a kind of a similar, which expresses the same, but which has nothing to do with the original. That was the reason why I used the lyrics on that, because I really want to do, in fact, a trilogy of uh, the Dune. I want to do also the three Dune albums, like the books. You know? But then after the tour, 79, with Arsene, you know, we got a bit uh, mixed up, you know, and, uh, and that was the reason why I said, OK, let's forget it. And uh, without Arsene, it's useless to go on with that thing, because Arsene had something like very spontaneous thing, you know, to just to create the sense with two words, you know, which I never could do, you know. So that's the thing, you know, I didn't find anybody else, so you can just leave the whole idea, you know. But now it's again very nice because uh, he gets different place. He was at this time, he was in a, what do you call that, close to a monk house? Where monks are living, how you call Monastery. it? Huh? Monastery. Yes, and uh, with this guy called, you know that Bennett? J.G. Bennett. Yeah, and, uh, and this was all in the influence, you know. Yeah, Yes, right, this stuff, you know, and so he was, then he went back to that because his, at this time his wife was also in that and she, uh, she went exactly for the tour period for, I think, for eight weeks. She couldn't leave before, you know, you know that they have to stay there, totally isolated. and. Uh, I think it was also a bit heavy for him and influencing him on the same strange thing. Or, so, but anyway, we get on a totally different uh, trip in this time, you know, and then we stopped it more or less. You know. What differentiates Richard Vanfried 
from Klaus Schulze. All right, uh, the Wahnfried thing is, in fact, the thing, when I did the Go, uh, whole Go recording stuff, I liked the idea very much because uh, the Go idea was in the beginning, like the Japanese game, you know, you always play the same game but with different people. And uh, when we did the first album, you know, it was totally, if you just see the musicians, they're coming off from different countries, you know, and then we did that, but the personalities were so different that we couldn't make it together really, you know, and uh, Storm in the end just said, okay, we play that and that and that. And, uh, but inside of the group, it didn't work, you know, and there was no human relation in between, you know, we didn't like us really sometimes. I couldn't see that guy and I didn't like his ideas of music. We sat down, you know, like we sit here now, you know, and suddenly this guy tore, told me some ideas and I said, kind of, how can you play that in that group if you have these ideas, you know? Like Al, for example, just, I mean, <clears throat> on one hand, you just came over to the, uh, the studio for three hours, played a solo and said goodbye, you know, just left, you know? Or in America, when we did this other album, the Blood, Sweat and Tears studios, when we called the Go To album, he came in and everybody was there, said, I can't play if everybody is here, you know? And he left. And I said, okay, it was not a band, <laughs> whatever you call it, you know. And uh, but the idea, general, the concept, the Stormo head behind it, I liked very much, you know. And that was a thing where, where I made this Vantry thing, which is always with different people, you know, and uh, which I somehow like, which is somehow on the same level, which have also maybe totally different ideas. I think every, like you heard too, with Katya and Steve, these tapes are totally different from the Toneville album. But uh, it's, um, it's kind of a group which is always existing, but the members are always changing, you know. There's also a concept behind. And the concept is just, you know, also for me, you know, that, you, that I myself don't get too isolated on solo works, you know, because uh, it's also dangerous if you, uh, feel, uh, if you lose the possibility of reacting with other musicians, you know? And uh, on the other hand, it's the idea that uh, that the whole, the whole money is a benefit for my son, you know? So whenever he's 18, you know, he gets all the money which comes out of the Van Fritz thing, like the GEMA or like royalties, you know? Uh, except of the musicians who play, so they get the royalties, you know? But all the rest goes to his bank account. So when he's 18, he can just choose whether he wants to be a musician or whatever, you know? That's, that's probably the reason why I have to create another uh, pseudonym because I got a second uh, child. So, but anyway, no, that's, that's the, in fact, the kind of my idea of just doing also the ghost thing, which Stomo once created, you know. But, but then not like he did, just look uh, like on the best of each instrument to find the best of each instrument. Uh, here it's more like... Uh, understanding, I have the same thinking. Even if it's a violin or a flute or a saxophone, it doesn't matter, if, because if the, uh, the, let's say, the, the human uh, thing is working, you know, it's in, then the music thing uh, should work as well, you know, which was, didn't do at all on the Go albums, you know. Except it's a live album. That, that's, on that album, I feel a bit that there is a band. But on the two other studio albums, it doesn't. It sounds like everybody does his piece, you know. And then, okay, sorry, it's your piece now. And he waits, just played some, and the other takes over. And 
but it was not a band, you know. But on the live concert, the, the double album, I think that was it had a touch of that band feeling. Therefore, I like that. I was the only album one girl which I still listen to to the two others that I haven't heard since they released. Not at all, you know. But uh, I, I, that's. Uh, in fact, it's a pity, you know, because the idea was great what Stormo had, you know. But it was also with Stormo, you know, he always has expensive ideas, you know. <laughs> Stormo has no idea which is less than 100,000 pounds. It's always with him. He said, oh, I like that. And then, like in the Royal Albert Hall, when he played there, you know, with a um, very expensive ballad with the Royal Symphony Orchestra, with Paul Buckmaster conducting. Then with guitar, with like Pat Swell. Phil Manzanera, Ali Miola, uh, Junior Hansen, or what was the other guy? There was five guitarists standing in a row for each solo. They have to change because someone said, this solo is good for this guy, and this solo is good for this guy. He said, yeah, this what can, cannot uh, the manager or, or Island Records say, cannot one guitarist do all that? Someone said, not possible, because that's a solo. I wrote it for this guy because I know that he can play that perfect. Yeah, but that guy is very expensive. Said, yeah. And we do that like that, or we can't do it. Then we make a normal band, forget it, you know, and all that. But that's also the thing that probably the third one didn't happen, you know. In fact, there were, we had a contract for three albums. Uh, one was Island and two was Arista. Well, anyway. Your, your compositions, uh, with, the, with the notable exception of probably the Time Actor album, tend to be very long. Mm-hmm. And uh, it seems to me there's more than just the need to go on, keep going on behind behind that. No, no, it's uh, it's like like uh, if you want, because I, I start on a, it's like a, like a model of an atom, you know. I start with with the nucleus and then go to the first cycle. You know this model, and then you go to the second, third, and fifth. It's like. And firstly, mostly the setting I start with the sound, and I add, as uh, you hear the sound, and you, uh, it leaves the time that you understand the sound, or that you feel what the sound means. And then I add a bit more, and then suddenly I build up the things, and this is what you can't do in two or three minutes, you know. And that's the thing that you start from something from nowhere, and suddenly, in the beginning, you don't, you don't know what it is, you know, what it means, but then when the, fee- uh, the piece is finished, and you know, ah, that's the reason why. And then you see this kind of escalation, you know, kind of climate, then it goes down, you reduce it uh, through that, you know. And uh, so that's the thing, you know, because I always uh, said, and so it's still my opinion, said, is leave the tone, the time to breathe, you know, somehow, you know, because normally you hear very good compositions and uh, sometimes they're very good things in there, but they come so quick in their own way that you just have not even time to just to keep them somehow, you know? Because the tone has no time to spend, it's only used in the frame and is off, you know? And, and that's the thing where I just start very simple, you know, to go very slowly into, leave each tone, you know, to set up his mood and then to develop it to the whole theme, you know? And that's the reason why I made, things have to be that long, you know? And even if I do a short piece on that, it's a part out of a long piece. And you know? I never made a song, except now for soundtracks or something like that, which has a different thing, as, which goes on one scene for 20 seconds or 50 seconds or whatever, you know. But then 
Then I have not to be too careful with the tone itself because the picture is explaining a lot also. So then it's easier, you know. But if the music is alone, it has to create also pictures. And whenever you hear a guitar, you associate uh, Jimi Hendrix or Eric Clapton with the guy who like you like uh, most, you know. And uh, so that is that's the thing why the, the pieces have to be extended long, you know. For a lot of people, it's monotonous and boring through that. But from my point of view, is if you once listen to a couple of times. As for every tone has a time to live somehow. Uh, you hear like you, your mind is changing. You hear every day a different tone because suddenly you don't react on the violin tone. You react on the on the bass tone suddenly. And as far as a, a bass tone has also enough time to establish himself, uh, suddenly you hear the whole piece different. So that's uh, mostly of the things. If people came to me and say, okay, I love the first side of your album, but the second side is a bit strange, they say, you will like the second one. The first you will hear it five times and you forget it. It's like the, everybody on, on the transfer album said, uh, they like this um, a few minutes after transfer. And I said, okay, I know that you will end up with Silent Running because that's a piece which you really will uh, understand on the long run because it's kind of a long-term stuff, you know, which you don't... Uh, you won't like on the first listen because it's it's not much happening if you listen to it just like that. But if you're in a certain mood and you uh, you hear the different thing, how the sequences came in, and how suddenly the percussion gets different, like on the first piece, which is a very basic with bass drum and snare, suddenly here it's much more lightly South American like. Yeah, suddenly when you uh, dig that certain yeah, there's a certain beat, what they do against the sequencer, then the kind of real uh, film will happen to you, you know. But it won't happen if you just listen to it like that, you know. And if you listen to it a couple of times, you know, it probably sounds every day different, you know. But the first piece will probably sound the every, every day the same. And that means uh, you hear it ten times and you forget it, you know. But it seems that you also have uh, a more Eastern concept of time, more Asian Indian concept, but I think that's by accident, more or less, because probably it's uh, it's about the same what they do, in fact, you know. Because, uh, for example, they have a very long introductions by the sitar, and then they have kind of a solo part for the drum parts, for example, and, and uh, drum. I mean, <laughs> not a drum kid, <laughs> no, but certain thing, whatever they have, you know, and. Uh, but they also have to think of the long terms. They have the long developments, like the classical music has for them, certain for certain movements, you know. And every movement uh, for a lot of the Africans or the Indians have a certain uh, are expressing a certain feeling, and uh, so they build up joy or sadness or everything, you know. But they start on very basic things with one tone, and they set up the same, you know. Uh, and uh, in fact, I didn't uh, realize it when I did it so much. But l later on, when I suddenly started liking Ravi Shankar and this music very much, I realized that it's very similar to my music. And uh, I think which is also very... If they would not do songs like they do now, which I found very similar to my music, for example, the reggae music as well, 
which is also very monotonous. It was a beat, you know. I mean, okay, the Hyatt is very randomly played, you know. It's the only thing which is different. Uh, so normal rock music, in that case, you know, not a straight Hyatt. But uh, how they suddenly f uh, fall into kind of this kind of zing-zang, we say that, you know, like this down, 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 which is the Indian music is also when they go like this the whole time, you know. And uh, if they would extend these pieces for half an hour, for example, you know, it would be exactly the same thing. And in fact, they do that if they play that in Jamaica original. They have not a song that comes on record songs, you know. But if they play that, it's also very similar to this kind of reggae stuff, very relaxed, very kind of monotonous, but on the other side, very hypnotic. And that's the other point, which is uh, the reason why it so probably uh, by sounds the same bit like this Indian or reggae music for me, that my music is also, if you really like it or you go into it, uh, you feel that this music is also hypnotizing myself doing it. And uh, this music can really hypnotize. Uh, because in Germany it's also Ismus or Ition and In, you know, it's like we say Emotion, you know, Emotion, uh -huh. and uh, we say then Emotional. We always put in this original word, so that's the reason why I always try to put this still in, you know, as a hypnotize. It's much easier, I read too. Same fish in the American. <laughs> and uh, that's the thing, you know, that's also very, this hypnotic is very important, like magma, for example, really put it on really heavy, this hypnotic. And you know that mechanical destructive commando is really hypnotic, but right? it's really like black magic, like Christo and his any on the anyway on that trip, but uh, was, but I don't know whether he changed. But that's the reason why I liked, for example, because uh, magma was for me the kind of uh, popular off, you know, and it's exactly Kamina come come Burana what they played, you know, but they played it really with good heavy style of drums, you know, and uh, so that's the thing, you know, but I, did, I do it more lightly, not that heavy, you know, like they do, you know. And uh, that's what Indian music is, a raga is, you know, the mantras where they're repeating, you know, until you get in kind of a trance, you know, like trance fair, that's also the thing, you know. And that's the thing which is, makes it so similar, or not, not similar, I mean, so, so near, brings it so near to that feeling, you know. But uh, I don't know really whether my subconscious was like that, that it was influenced somehow that I heard it sometimes, or uh, through the drugs suddenly that you feel that 10 minutes could be 10 hours, you know? So in the end, if you did this kind of time, uh, suddenly you feel that, so I saw that uh, science fiction, you know, where, where people made, uh, people from outer space want to conquer the world, you know? And they tried everything, and they could never succeed because the world was so, of course, so sophisticated technically. And the NASA blew up, all the Panams blew up, everything, you know. And suddenly they found out they stopped the time. And suddenly they had no problem. Because that was the only point where nobody was thinking of that somebody from outside could stop the time. And uh, you thought that they stopped the time. But they didn't do it, they just put one minute to one hour. And uh, it's also by uh, Silverberg, um, uh, a novel called the seven fingers, no, the six fingers of time. 
It's the same, you know. It's some guy has a different time. And as there was a taxi driving with 50 miles an hour, you know, and he opened the door and just jumped in and said, uh, please drive me to that place. Just he walked in a different time schedule, you know. I mean, the speed of 50 miles an hour was for him just walking, you know. And uh, if you, it's the same in music, you know, like the, the Indian music has much more time because for them the whole lifestyle is based on long times, you know. It's the same thing, they work never very quick, you know. If you phone, for example, now I say, okay, I want to have a steak in five minutes, you know, they bring it after, maybe after two hours they bring it. They say, oh, I don't, I'm not hungry anymore. So, okay, I'll take it back, don't care about it. You have not to pay it. They're not interested in that five, five minutes, you know. And that also comes this, uh, this expression of time, comes in the music, which like, for example, uh, Lamonte Young is all doing that style of time, or, or like Terry Riley repeating the whole things, you know. In the beginning, the phrase takes about, if you really put it into frames like music for, uh, this, uh, uh, no, in C, for example, where every musician can start whenever he likes, so just to jump in, but which part he jumped in and jumps out, he has always to repeat in a certain frame, you know. Suddenly, everybody takes his own time out of, the, of a general time. And so for the musician, suddenly, two minutes is half an hour, you know? And, uh, and whenever he jumps in, he has a theme for the two minutes and just jump in. And if you, for example, do that on a short thing, like they do like a, a phrase which have a cycle which goes five minutes, suddenly there's no time existing and that puts you in trance at the thing. And you know? just go over that, you know? And that's also the idea, which is very near because I'm really reading science fiction and always going to that right Robert Heinlein is doing that, you know, I mean that guy is amazing. Did you read something of his stuff? Yeah, I've heard a lot of his stuff. Oh, my God, that's really crazy today. And Do you read them in German or English? In German, uh, uh -huh. no, I, I, that's too difficult to me. I tried once to to read uh, Dune and uh, this is in English, in original, but it's, uh, it's too much because, I mean, you can read a crime or or Perry Rodan, but if it goes to a bit more sophisticated or more intelligent science fiction, mm -hmm. suddenly the words uh, are too difficult, you know, really to get the sense. Unless you really sit there like in a university and study <laughs> word for word, but I mean, somehow I also like the, also like the entertainment and reading it, you know, mm -hmm. and that's too hard, that's a pity, but I know when I see that American films and German films just synchronized, you know, I mean, that's terrible, you know, I mean, and it's probably the, the same on the, or even maybe worse in translation, you know, if the guy who translated the book and doesn't understand the sensibility of the author, you mm -hmm. know, I mean, it just will just mess up the whole uh, novel, you know. And, but I think that's a very, also a very important thing with that different tradition, like Eastern music, Western music, I think like that, you know. It's also the time questions, you know. I mean, we are hurry like rock. I mean, heavy metal and Indian music. If you put that, I mean, that's somehow the two uh, countries. Oh, the, no, it's my it's smaller already. Two worlds, you know. <laughs> now, and that's the thing, you know. I think in India, never uh, heavy metal music could uh, uh, start, you know. Probably they can hear it and say, so, "Oh, it's weird stuff in the Western." I really, you know, really after, you know. Uh, the, the same thing if you play to, I mean, to Agnes Young, if you play him raga music, I mean, he'd probably just say, what's that fucking hell? <laughs> you know, throw the radio out of the window or whatever, you know. But 
that's the thing which something we're sensitive to certain things, you know, even if we are not in that tradition, but it somehow it affects us suddenly. We are not, I mean, we, I would never play Indian music. I could never do that, you know. I would never try to play a blues or whatever, you know. A lot of German bands tried it, you know, it was enough. You know? <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's totally different tradition, but uh, uh, some parts suddenly, you know, you feel very comfortable with, even if you don't understand it or why it is, you just feel nice with it, you know. And then you just suddenly you do it, you know, because or you do it without knowing it, and then you hear it and you say, God, that's nice. And suddenly you say, oh, that's a, it's a bit like what I do. And suddenly you feel that there are certain feelings which go over the culture things and all that, you know. But in general, it's, which I really have to say that all the things which I do, I don't say that because I want to tell that I, I'm always 100% the original of what I'm doing, but uh, it's more than with unconscious or subconscious, you never know that, you know, because you never know what suddenly, uh, you walk down the street and you heard a sound, and it, it triggers you so much, not in a moment, but then you go back home, you play, and something you realize, God, I, I remembered me when I played this uh, thing with Katya and Steve, and I played something, oh, I love that. Oh, it's really nice, you know. Till I found out it was ex nearly exactly Atom Heart Mother, you know, <laughs> from Pink Floyd. And I said, oh, I can't use that, you know. So <laughs> it was big then. And it was a voice, I said, oh, that's per. And I think everybody of us uh, thought this, uh, didn't think, you know, but we just came together like that. <laughs> And we were wondering that it worked suddenly so perfect, you know, because we were always thinking of the same piece, but not realizing that what we are playing and saying, you know. The same thing, we had this kind, kind of a blues style, you know, and uh, Steve played a saxophone, you know. I said, oh, that's really great saxophone, till I found out it was exactly the solo of Traffic when the eagle flies, you know. Exactly the uh, saxophone solo, you know. But then it says suddenly, you know, you don't feel it in a moment, you know, and that's generally with my music, you know, whenever, whoever you related to, or the people say it could be like that, you know, it could be all like that, it could be all different, because I don't know that so exactly, because I never uh, sat down and said, okay, I play now this style of Indian music, you know, that's for example what Clara Moonshine is doing, you know. This guy you know, knows so much about world music in general, you know, he made the meta music festivals, mm -hmm all in Berlin, organized everything. He went to Bali, he went to Korea, to Japan, everything, and choose the groups to bring over, you know. He knows everything. And he's also, it's also typical to that thing, is that he used the MCA computer. So he has this kind of numeric programming, you know. So he programs exactly, said, okay, I want to have African uh, rhythm. He knows what it is. I don't even know what African rhythm is. I, I, when I hear it, I say, okay, that sounds like Africa, but I could never create now or compose a rhythm like that. But he, for example, he can do exactly the same, which is original, you know. But this I, I never uh, could do because I never spend time with it because I just play all the time for myself, you know. And if I like something, I bring it out, you know, and as a record or as a tape, whatever. But I never did it something on purpose like that, you know. But you never can get, uh, let's say, 100% original or whatever it is, because you, I mean, you learned it in school, you heard in Germany, I heard always Bach, and you probably heard 
Purchase or whatever it is, you know. Uh, I don't know that, and uh, you say I don't like, it and you forgot it already. But your your brain doesn't forget it, and suddenly, if you sit on the instrument, you play music, it just comes and you play it, you know. And there's no, no, nobody in your brain said, watch it. That's Bach, which you learned under seven years in school, which you didn't like, but suddenly <laughs> it comes out because now you know what it means, probably or whatever, you know. Because you just play it like that, and uh, and maybe later people turn around and say, "Oh, let's sound." For example, I played once in the live concert. I played a beautiful song. It's also on the live album, I think. And then somebody said to me, "It sounds like a concerto for Rangers, you know, and uh, from uh, Juan Rodriguez, concerto for Aranjuez or Aranjuez. I don't know what a Spain composer." Mm-hmm. And it's a beautiful thing, you know. And uh, I said, what? And then I listened to it and said, ooh, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully the gamer doesn't hear that, you know, because then you play that suddenly, it's just, you, you think it's your own, absolutely your own. And because you also isolate then in your own world if you play a melody which you like suddenly, and somebody who is outside of it just controlling this like he controls or, or like, say, not controlling it is like, um, researching it, you know, like uh, Schultz says that and that is that. Suddenly said, Oh, this melody I know. Because he's not playing it and not totally into it, he suddenly immediately had, Oh, that's this. You know, and then when he tells you that, then you say, Oh, yeah, that's right, that's true, you know. But in the moment when you do it, you know, you mostly don't think of it, you know. Your sound really changed, I think, um, when you started using the digital equipment. With uh, with dig it, right? Huh? Much of analog. I mean, it's still yeah. it's one of the best things I did. I think just such a real thing. Now that's of course because suddenly the possibilities of that, you know, it's so it's so amazing. You know, suddenly it just really kind of uh, just beat you up the sounds that you just yeah. played it. You know, say, boss, that you know, whole orchestra you can play everything. You know, that's. That's the influence of technique, so whatever we were talking about before, and now suddenly such an incredible potential is, is, is hitting there, you know, and just still haven't used a lot of it, you know. It's also a crispness, though, I think. Yes, it's so transparent, because that's just a digital thing, you know, because if you hear analog things, you know, you have all these kind of intermodulations in the tones because they're not really separated, you know, so they're all muddled up, you know, so, and, but on, on digital, you play uh, five tones, and every tone is single, it's very s- separate from each other, you know. On analog system, because, for example, you, you have uh, on the polyphonic synthesizer, you have uh, one filter for, let's say, five keys, you know. But on the GDS, you have uh, 32 filters. So whenever you want, you know, you put different filters to the keys. And what made, for example, the, uh, the, the thing not transparent anymore is if you send too many signals to one filter, it suddenly can't handle it anymore. And the other thing is if you go on a multi-track tape, on the tape itself, the kind of the storage or whatever, the recording itself, you know, has certain, uh, let's say, intermodulation because the tape cannot really separate it, all the different sounds, you know, but on digital, you know, I mean, like you heard now this one, you know, there's nothing in between, and suddenly it gets so transparent, so deep, you know, 
And also the, the highs is so clean, you know, because on digital recording, you know, uh, 20,000 hertz highs, you know, means doesn't mean anything. They can go up to 80,000 if they want, you know. But on tape already, then it starts to get really dangerous that the tape is not really 100% made and all that, you know. On digital, this computer, uh, which is uh, behind you there, you know, uh, it's, you have always a dropout points, you know. As a kind of small errors, you know, which was, uh, and this has an error correction system in it. And so whenever you have a, a bad point on the tape, you know, the computer is adding it. So and, uh, even if there's no place for it, but he's, I don't know, I, the guy who was, was an American guy who worked for Harrison, he, he said, you know, he knows what it is, but he never tries to explain it. And I said, it's such a complicated thing because the, the computer takes a signal and adds it like it should be to it, you know, but it's not really like it should be, done, uh, but before, like it is before and after. And so he added something extra in the middle, you know. And uh, when you have, let's say, five mistakes in, it just can repair three in the same time because it's only 14 bits, you know. But if you let the tape run the second time, so it takes the other two and repairs those, you know. So whenever you have a lot, you just let it run through and it repairs and repairs, you know. If the tape gets better, the more you play it, you know, because it's really amazing, this technique, you know. Do you think in certain regards that advancement of the technology uh, sort of dates the music that came before? What, updates? No, it, it dates it, it makes it sound old so not really because all the, for example it's quite still quite useless for example to record a guitar on digital because the image of that sound is is made by tapes and all these things which are in between between the guitar and actually the record you know, and you listen to it but uh, this uh, technique will make the things more the new things uh, as well as the music, as well as the, as the expression, like the dynamics and all that, much more, let's say, efficient for everybody to listen to it. And it will be very good also for re-recording all the classical music because suddenly you can go back to real orchestrated sounds in a hall and you have, even in the lowest dynamics, you have no tape noise what you had before. Or the same thing if the whole string section is playing, you hear always through the analog recording, you hear some, especially the overtones, were not reproduced 100% on the tapes. With digital, it's like you sit in the hall, you know, and it's not like the people just said, the first people said, oh, I don't like digital, it sounds cold and too clean, you know. It's, it's, it's rubbish because the only thing where it sounds different is because you have never heard it like that before. The only thing where you heard it like that was when you were sitting actually in the concert hall, on the classical concert. Then you heard it really like it is now it's suddenly on a tape, and now it comes out like that out of the speakers, and you say, oh, that sounds a bit too super Colgate-like or whatever, you know. But uh, in fact, that's very, the thing is, you know, digital adds nothing and leaves nothing. That means it's absolutely natural recording, you know. And that makes especially for this complicated recording of pianos, for example. I mean, every analog tape has, what's that? Yeah, you know, woe and flutter, you say that, you know, or just, the speed is 100%, you know. And on a piano, it's like dead, you know, I mean, it's a string, like this, you know. 
When on digital, you hear the piano like you play it, where there's no tape in between, you know. Because on digital, the speed, you know, doesn't matter. Because if the speed is right, the signal is okay. If the speed is not right, there's no signal, and it stops immediately. And um, so whatever you do on the digital recording, it works or not. It means it's 100% on zero. It's like this thing like yes, no, or yes and no, you know, that means no information and information. And so if you get a tone from the digital machine, it is okay, you know, like the original, you know. If you don't get one, okay, then probably the speed is wrong or you overloaded it. It's also terrible with this one, like all digital recording, the absolutely maximum loudness is zero dB. Like, for example, on analog tape, uh, we uh, tape it with plus 16 dB sometimes, you know, or decibel, you say that, huh? And um, on that thing, you can only go higher, because after, on top of that, you know, the uh, information, this thing, it just goes and stops, you know. It's not even distorted, it's just nothing, you know, because it's, it's also information which the system can't handle, then, you know. And that made this, uh, I made... Uh, a mistake on that uh, transfer album with that because uh, I started at the very beginning I faded it in on minus 35 dBs you know and uh, as far I didn't hear any any noise I just went in very slowly you know and then it was uh, was it uh, cut to disc you know and suddenly I heard the noise of the record <laughs> I never heard that before, you know. But as far as I started so slowly, you know, suddenly you felt that the record is, is there, so terrible, you know. But the, the system, the digital system, will be really 100% efficient when you have this uh, compact disc, you know. I mean, then, you know, you have a totally change in high fidelity sound, you know, because that's amazing, you know. That's really, then it's a big advantage, especially for classical records, you have no scratches and all that, or whatever, on the tape, you know, on the record, you know. And uh, what's also good, uh, it never gets bad. You know, it's not, you can play it 100 times, you have always the original clean copy, you know. You never get scratches or extra noises on it. So, <clears throat> which is very good because sometimes, you know, if you have a very nice symphony recorded, you know, and you like, you played it very often, you know, there's so much disturbing noises on, you know. It is, sometimes you just can't hear it anymore. It's so terrible, you know. Do you think the synthesizer, well, I think it's kind of obvious in a way, but it kind of forces you to know more about, about overtones and the shape of a note? And yeah, Sometimes you have to, because if you uh, create a tone, you have to, suddenly you, you have the choice between different waveforms and... Uh, so as far as you choose the waveforms to create a tone, suddenly oh, it sounds like a flute, and you look down, oh, it's a pulse wave. So suddenly you know, oh, a flute is just a, or you say square wave, huh? <clears throat> it's a square wave tone. So you never know that before, but you suddenly realize it like that. It must be like that, otherwise it wouldn't sound like that. Or the other thing is like, you won't have a violin, you know, that you need a sawtooth wave, you know, you know that. And, but just by getting near to the sound which you think it's a violin, suddenly you see on the, on the screen, on the terminal, see it's all, it's all sawtooth waves, and suddenly you say, and the overtone suddenly 28 octaves up, you know, you, hear, you don't hear that, you know, but you think, that's a violin suddenly, you know, you know that it's in a, 
in a not uh, audible level, you know, suddenly there's the tones who uh, modulate the lower tones, which you hear actually. And on uh, for normal uh, analog synthesizers, you know, it was not possible to go 28 octaves up, you know. I mean, as this one goes up to uh, to 32 and low to 48 octaves, you know. I mean, that means the keyboard would just <laughs> goes from here to the next house or whatever. But <coughs> anyway, that's uh, things which you learn just by practicing it, you know. It's, a lot of people, okay, they go after that and read a book, said, okay, I want to have that tone, so I have to do this. But I don't do that. But uh, during working, you'll just learn it by then, you know. When you when you're playing your music, do you do you see it visually? No, just no, no. It's just like that. Uh, I just uh, hear it, you know, and I like it, and it makes me a nice feeling, you know. But just from a surrounding wise, you know, and it's not from a, that uh, that I have a picture in me. Well, on certain music thing, I just let this steel symphony the pictures with our tone going and I play to it, you know. But mostly after a certain time, I close my eyes anyway when I play, so I don't see anything. I don't care about that anymore. You know? No, but it's not that uh, that uh, people often think that I just uh, see space or countryside or something like that. You know, it's the opposite. When I'm, <clears throat> when I play it, I don't see anything. I'm just concentrating on the sound and on the harmonies. But then when it's finished and I listen to it. And I lie down and just uh, listening to that, and then suddenly I have images, you know. And then I start to have to sometimes to do a video on that, you know. I have so many videos done, but I never released any of myself yet, because there's not one which I say, oh, that's hundred percent great, you know, which I would love, you know. <clears throat> yeah, but that comes uh, later on the visual stuff, you know, but not during a play. What about uh, notating your music? I know on the back of Time Wind you, you notate, I think it's Von Fried. Yes, uh, but that was only for, because in the German, in Germany the GEMA, which is your AP... BMI and... Oh, ASCAP. Yeah. And uh, this uh, is, if you wanted to become a kind of a, I'm called serious musician, you know, we have this entertainment musician and serious means ernst music and Unterhaltungsmusik, E and U music, you know. And uh, then you have to do a kind of a, what is that? Grad, no, not a graduate, kind of a prüfung. No, no, you have to, uh, you have to come there. You know, it's like an examination. Yeah? You have to compose something, you have to write something, and you have to play something to a thing what was on a piano or whatever. And if you can do that, then they accept you as a member of that uh, kind of music thing. You know, and. Uh, that was the reason why I just notated it, because in fact it's stupid, because nobody can play it anyway, because you need exactly the same uh, equipment. And on the other hand, of every, let's say, every filtering point or whatever, I should have made a photo with a Polaroid from it that you can just adjust it like it was, you know, and to find it is nearly impossible, exactly the same sound, you know. So, but as far as I asked it for it, I just did it, you know. And normally, I think the easiest way now to do it is just to, uh, because I have an out, uh, an output on the terminal for printer, it's just to print it, you know, like the computer printing, you know, that's the easiest way, you know, because uh, you can't really make a notation for a piece, you know, except of the melody, you know, but uh, which is uh, 
it's nothing you can play that very easily, you know. But the tone that makes a sense, you know, because on the normal score, you write down for violin, so you know, aha, that's a violin tone there. So you have not to describe the tone. When on this score, you know, you have to describe every single tone, and suddenly there comes an abstract sound. You know, how would you write that? You know, and then it comes to that paintings like you have on the X album in the middle. You know, underneath the normal uh, score. And on top, you know, this kind of uh, abstract painting, you know, it doesn't mean anything. In fact, it's a big joke, you know, because Stockhausen did the same. If you see that, for example, like here, you know, I mean, what does that mean if you uh, put the note lines like that suddenly, you know? And it's fact that the seats, you know, of his concert hall, that's just a joke also, you know? But um, and then he was sitting at the Philharmonie thing, you know? <laughs> but uh, he just did something, you know, just to tell, in fact, that this, it's a... Uh, historical notation, you know, is useless for modern music, you know. Except you have kind of piano pieces like Cage did, or uh, some flute pieces, you know, which is then, or like even that Phil Glass did, or Steve Reich, you know, which is still in a normal uh, notation because he's still using normal instruments, you know. That's, for example, he said just for example, Fafisa organ. But that's the most specification you need, in fact. You can use another organ as well. You won't change the piece so much. But if you just see that, like the people from uh, uh, Music Concrete uh, did a notation you know, of a car, which they put up with a half speed on tape, and then they modified it via a filter and all that thing, you know. I mean, it's stupid, you know, to repeat it. They used just the tapes, which is, in fact, also a notation, you know. And I think, on the other hand, which is useless, is that nobody's really interested to play exactly the same, you know. Uh, then he probably will uh, play the melody, which he can listen himself to it, and the rest of the sound he will probably look himself to on the computer or on the organ, you know. I'd like to ask you just a little bit about IC and why you formed your own company and what its concept is. Mm. Yeah, the thing was uh, that the third try now to do that, and you know, I had two tries before. One just uh, worked for half a year, because, uh, and then nobody wanted to distribute the records, you know, because we so we just work with that uh, artificial head or dummy head system, mm -hmm. you know. And uh, it was about seventy-one or sixty-nine, somewhere that around that time. And then I had another label called Berliner Weltklang, which was which was now very popular, new wave label. <laughs> uh, but it, no, it had nothing to do with that label you now. But this one uh, already start, stopped after, I think, a couple of uh, days, you know, because nobody wants to take that music and so on, you know. And uh, and I had no money at this time, you know, just to do it on my own, you know. And then. And '79, when I had uh, some money, you know, I just said, "Now I'll do it again," you know, and uh, and then w suddenly it worked uh, well, you know. And the thing is, the idea was in general to make a label like, for example, I had the idea like ECM did for jazz, or like Island in the very beginning did for really extra music like Quintessence and Spooky Two stuff, you know, which was very different music from that uh, music what they normally produce at this time. And um, I always had the wish to do something like that and what Eno did with obscure things, you know. And 
it was a point where I always was uh, got a lot of tapes from people, you know, and all that. Of course, if you're there, you know, and I said, oh, that's a nice album. You should bring it out, you know. And I just can give them, uh, could give them addresses from other companies. They always refused it, you know. Say, oh, no, we don't want it. Oh, we're not interested. You can't sell that music, and yeah, still that. And so I said, okay, and I do it uh, again, you know, and. Uh, Then we made this label was started with four or five electronic bands and with one new wave band, which is EDR, you know, the band, you know, which is the biggest band now in Germany. It's just lucky, you know, you could never know. They're sold now in Germany, which is very much a 600,000 copies, you know. It's a platinum in Germany, it's, and it's a small independent label, you know, so everybody is now went crazy after that, and they said, what's that for a label, you know, it's a big album, you know, it was just lucky, you know, all the electronic music didn't sell that much, you know, not a, not a tenth of it, you know. And, uh, but this, it was very helpful for us because it opened us a lot of doors for for uh, people on the TV and the image was very big, you know, but now it, suddenly it came out that IC becomes a new wave label, you know, because that was the like, most successful record, you know. Uh, but we're still doing the electronic music stuff, you know, and uh, but that's for the big uh, masses, you know, it's, it's only the new wave existing because that's uh, the biggest success, you know. I mean, if you think that about 50,000 people altogether bought the electronic albums altogether, I mean, the same people bought mostly the same music. And, uh, for example, 600,000 people just bought one record from one band into the first band, and the first record of the band. So they suddenly thought, oh, I see, that must be a good new wave. Man. And then we have this kind of Dina Taspel, which is a mixture. And uh, now we have two other bands. It's called uh, Deo and the Gesunden. Die Gesunden, what we're talking about now. Right? And uh, but it's still uh, the main idea of that is still to produce electronic music like this uh, Xolotl or what do you say, like Xolotl. I can't speak that name. Xolotl. 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 And uh, which I would really like the music very much. And uh, he wrote already in the letter that nobody else would produce it. He's just sending the tape that maybe if I'm interested, you know, because of money, just uh, to release it. That he wants to bring it to, uh, just to listen to people in, in, in the music. And um, it's very hard, in fact, with that music in the moment. But in general, you know, it's still uh, a reason and I like still to do that, you know, because that was the origin of the whole thing, you know. And uh, so anyway, we produce now more like, Three, three new wave bands. I mean, that's that's enough, you know. So now we just uh, have another guy now who's doing electronic uh, Brecht songs, you know, called Vile stuff, you know, very extra, really a bit flippy, but it's really interesting music. It won't sell, but it's very interesting, you know, to have uh, such musicians, you know, on together, you know, because. Very often it happens that they suddenly make something else together which is totally different and things like that, you know. And uh, we're lucky enough that we have uh, enough money to afford that, to just to produce something because we like it and we're interested in it, you know. But that's probably of the commercial success of the new wave bands, which are very fashionable now. You know? That sometimes the people are really angry, you know, said, how could you do that, you know. I said, Lucky enough, otherwise we couldn't buy any other record of that because we couldn't afford that to do this, you know.
But that's sometimes that the people are a bit ignorant to that, you know. They, they think if you make a label, the money is there, you know. But you have to work a lot for that, that you have the, uh, the money then to just to have that, like you saw the studio, I mean, and uh, also you will see tomorrow the video studio and this studio you saw now. I mean, it's all money, you know, and it's okay, it gives you a lot of possibility to do something, you know, but to have that and to own that and to, on the other hand, to run the whole company, you always need money, you know, you just cannot say, oh, I just like, I just produce only music which I like 100%, you know. I mean, then you won't survive, and in the end, you can't produce anything anymore, you know. But then the people who were uh, standing a bit outside of it, you know, said, uh, said what, he's doing hits now, or something like that, you know. But I mean, but this makes everything possible, you know. And uh, it didn't change at all the ideas what we have in the beginning, you know. It's just kind of a, that once, or once every two years, for example, you have to have something, a big selling record, otherwise, just give it up, you know, like, and uh, we are not like uh, like EMI or CBS, we always have money somehow, you know, we're all involved somewhere, you know, so for them it's not so important, but especially these big companies only producing which seems to sell, you know, uh, they don't uh, mostly, but at least they try only to be commercial, you know. The second of a two-part interview with Klaus Schulze from 1982. Pieces of this were originally used in the radio series Totally Wired, and a lot of this interview actually appeared on my uh, cover story of Klaus Schulze in Keyboard Magazine. The interview came at the end of a month-long European trip where I had talked to Edgar Frosa of Tangerine Dream, Manuel Gerching of Ashra Temple, Depeche Mode, Karlheinz Stockhausen, Deuter, Vangelis, Ultravox, Mark Shreve, and about 10 other artists in England, France, and Germany. But Klaus was definitely the highlight. He was also a pretty gracious host, putting us up in a room at his offices and taking us out to a great meal. I will have a list of five essential Klaus Schulze albums in the posting for this podcast. Next week, I've got the Arabic world fusion duo Didon with Carmen Rizzo and Miriam Benamore. I'm John DiLibretto. This has been the Echoes podcast from PRX. See you next week, tonight, on the radio, somewhere in the country, or at Echoes Online right now or whenever you want.